Good morning, Rock Bible Church. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. Mexico's over. Graduations are over. There's so many. My sister's leaving for Africa. Fourth of July's over. No? It was wishful thinking. Fairgrounds are still open. There's too much going on. And then God makes it over 100 degrees yesterday. It's good to be in the Lord's air-conditioned house. Amen? Amen. I'm exhausted. And yet, uh, so much energy this morning. So excited. We're continuing our series in the book of Matthew, chapter 11. We're going to finish the chapter today. Uh, And so uh, would love for you to join me in that. Uh, But before we do, we're going to pray. So, uh, Lord, be with us. Emmanuel. God with us, pray that you would uh, join us this morning, help us, there's so many great things going on Lord and yet we need this time to be with you, to learn from you, to draw near to you and so I pray Lord that that would be what happens this morning and we love worship Lord, we we love uh, what it does for us, we love your word what it does for us. Pray that we be clear this morning that more important than those two would be you yourself. What you do for us. And sometimes through your word, sometimes through worship, sometimes in other ways. But may we uh, have you as our first priority. May this morning be about that. Bringing glory and honor to you, your son, and through your Holy Spirit. We pray all this and God's people said, Amen. I'm a little excited this morning. I will not apologize. But uh, I got, I got, I think two, two second service extras for you. First service for I, I forgot. I did. I missed out. Uh, and I'm going to go on a rant today. I'm just warning you. I'll let you know before it comes, because uh, I'm going to get a little loud and a little excited, and I'm going to have a little fun. Uh, but it's going to come at the end. Okay. Uh, but we have been doing a series in the book of Matthew and we'll been going uh, past the time as we do as a church. And we started chapter 11 last week and Jesus has uh, John the Baptist send his disciples to him and say, uh, who are you? Basically, are you the one or, or should we look for another? Uh, when he's done talking to them, he starts talking to the crowds. And this morning, uh, Matthew 11, chapter 20, he's going to start talking to more than just the crowds. Now he's going to start talking to cities. How do you talk to a city? Cities don't respond, right? When we're talking to a city, we're really talking about the people in the city. And so he he goes from a, a little group of guys to a larger crowd. Now he's talking to multiple crowd. There's a projection of where that's going to more and more people. And ultimately, that projection ends up where? Everyone. 2,000 years later, ends up here. He's trying to get a message out to a bunch of people. He's going to say some things, uh, some warnings and some promises, uh, and, and we're going to see it all. We're going to have a little geography lesson, maybe, uh, and we're going to have some fun with it. So uh, if you would, join me, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, here we go. Uh, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. He's denouncing cities, he's kind of cursing them, if you will, 
He's even going to say woe to one of them, right? Uh, and, and why? It says he did mighty works. If you're, if you're going to do mighty works there, then why would you denounce them later? Is, that, is he confused? Or is there something wrong? He did mighty works. And something supposed to happen didn't happen. And so they're going to get in a little trouble. Okay? Which should be a reminder for us. We don't want to get in trouble. Right? So, uh, he says, mighty works have been because they did not. That's pretty good. You beat first service, not by much. We're going to try it again. Okay? He began to announce the cities where most of his mighty works have been done because they did not. All right, this is the interactive church. I told you I was excited this morning. Repent. What's repent? Turn. The most literal translation of the word is turn. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes the most literal translation isn't the best one, right? Because when you're driving and somebody yells, turn, what's the problem? Which one? Left or right? You don't want to make the wrong turn. So here's, here's how you remember. In Christendom, when we say repent and we mean turn, we never turn left. We always turn right. Get it? We turn correctly. We turn to righteousness, Okay. Uh, turn is not just turn anywhere. Turn is towards God. Repent means change. I'm going to give you some other synonyms in a little bit. Uh, but the idea is they had all these mighty works. Jesus raising people from the dead, walking on water, healing diseases, the whole thing. And they kind of watched and said, wow, cool, good show. Uh, can you tell me when the next showing is? Because I'm bringing my friends. But until then, I'm going to go do my own thing. Thanks for the entertainment. Uh, Jesus didn't come for our entertainment, did he? Now, much of what he did was entertaining. Amen. We point that out every chance we get. He was sarcastic. He had a sense of humor. He was serious. Uh, he was miraculous. So some of it could be entertaining, but he's meant to get our attention so that we could turn, change, repent, respond. Because they did not repent. Verse 21, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Wow. You want to be from there? If Jesus curses you, isn't that a pretty bad place to be? Hey, hi. What's your name? What's your name? Oh, I'm Scott. Oh, where are you from, Chorazin? That's not a sentence I want to be able to say. They're in trouble. Now, this, this should be ironic because uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, do you know where those towns were? Warning, geography lesson. They're within Israel. Uh, what kind of city were they considered, good or bad? Well, we, we think all cities are good, Scott. We're politically correct. No, that's not what I mean. Back in those days, if you were part of Israel, that was considered good. If you were outside of Israel, you weren't following God, then you were considered bad, right? These were supposed to be good cities. And Jesus comes and does mighty work. They don't respond. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Very good. You get to come back. Good job. <laughs> they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Why sackcloth and ashes? Now back in those days when you were really upset or something was going very poorly for you or for someone else or, or maybe you were praying and wanted God to change things, 
Uh, you would not only pray, you would not only go to the temple or the synagogue, you would not only tell other people about it, you would actually change your physical appearance. Talk about changing when you repent. They said, we're trying to change so much, we're going to put sackcloth and ashes, we're going we're to change our condition to poorer until this thing changes. And we're trying to get God's attention, and we want to get everybody else's attention. Are they trying to repent? Absolutely. Funny is they're saying uh, these two towns, Tyre and Sidon, which any guesses whether they were within Israel or, with, or they were on the outside? Any guesses? They were on the outside. If they're on the outside, why are they doing sackcloth and ashes? Implication is they would have turned enough, changed enough, responded to God enough, they would have adopted Jewish traditions. Start doing sackcloth and ashes. You imagine guys in Tyre and Sidon, Hey, you need a sackcloth? Yeah, what are we using this for? I don't know, but we're supposed to put it on because we're responding to God. <laughs> That'd have been a funny conversation. Where'd you get that from? I don't know. The Jews do it, so we should do it. Why? Because they're following God and we want to. Jesus is saying here, those guys would have done that even if the Jews were not following God. Those outside of the kingdom, Tyre and Sidon, would have got inside the kingdom and started adopting those policies and doing the same that they should have been. They would have repented long ago. But I tell you, verse 22, I tell you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Ouch. You ever, you ever come across by, uh, verses in the Bible and you go, ooh, ooh that one hurt a little bit? What did we just find out? Newsflash. There's going to be a judgment day. That's bad news. Maybe. There's a way to be more bearable, which implies there's a way for it to be less bearable. There's, there's a good way to experience Judgment Day, and there's a bad way to experience Judgment Day. Some of them aren't going to have a good day that day. Now, if you're anything like me, you start asking the question, um, how do I survive that day? How to make it through Judgment Day? good question. How do I mess it up or how do I get it right? Great question. Uh, and you, verse 23, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Ooh, good news. You can get to heaven. You will be brought down to Hades. Bad news. Hell is real and you can get there. Which path are you on? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Would have remained. There's an implication there. Now, if you know nothing about Bible geography, you don't need it in order to answer this question. What do you know about Sodom if Jesus used the phrase, it would have remained until this day? What do you know about Sodom? can't find it. Not there anymore. We got a story in the Old Testament, just Sodom and Gomorrah, gone. Not there anymore. Why? They were doing things that were so bad. Uh, here's the short version, right? There's the Bible version, there's Cliff Notes version, then there's Scott version. They were so bad, God said, okay, we're done with you. You're not going to be here anymore. That's the really shortest version of the story. Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, it was so bad, uh, that's where we get the word sodomy. 
Now what we've learned is, yes, there is a judgment day, but judgment can come before that day. Wow. Six cities. What are we doing with them? We've got three good, three bad. Interesting fact. Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. I've been to them all. Stood in all three of them. Kind of. Well, not really. Anybody know why? There's nothing there. Went a tour of Israel. Walked to where Chorazin used to be. Walked through where Bethsaida used to be. And walked through the tourist trap that is now modern-day Capernaum. It's not a town, just a couple uh, trinket shops and a UFO-looking museum over Peter's mother-in-law's house. They've tried to rebuild a replica of like two of the walls of the uh, synagogue there. And they got a little wine press over off to the side. There's enough room for you there. Come, park, buy a bunch of stuff that's going to break in three days. Say a couple prayers. Look at the Sea of Galilee and then you're on to your next thing. Why do I tell you that? Because Jesus was right. What does it say? If it had been, uh, mighty works had been done in you, uh, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, verse 24, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Ouch! Sodom's not there anymore. And Jesus made a promise. Sodom, it implies, might do better than Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And now they're not there. Any guesses on how well they're going to do at Judgment Day? Not well. Why? Why are they in trouble and the other three weren't? I mean, they were the three that got the mighty works. Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, no mighty works. Why'd they get in trouble and they didn't even get mighty works? They didn't get in trouble. Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, they get in trouble. Why? Because they got more than just the mighty works. They got Jesus. They got to see him, hear him, watch him, experience him, witness resurrections, healings, exorcisms. They get to be around God and no response. The other ones never got to see the mighty works. There's still hope for them, still a chance. But says, you three, yeah, it's not going to go well for you. I'm walking through Israel thinking to myself, Jesus kept his promises. He was right. He's a prophet. Kind of interesting. Tyre and Sidon. Where are they? The names Tyre and Sidon were famous in the ancient Near East. They were also important cities in the Old Testament and New Testament. Both are now located in Lebanon with Tyre 20 miles south of Sidon and only 12 miles north of the Israel-Lebanon border. Today, each is a shadow of their former self, but today they still exist. Whoa. They were outside the kingdom, and yet they remain to this day. And so, therefore, they still got a shot. How cool is that? That's the information I need, because there's been a lot of times I've been outside the kingdom, if you know what I mean. I need a God that gives me hope and gives me opportunity Jesus says, here's how you do it. Do you remember? Repent. Repent. 
turn, change. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Wait, does God hide things? You realize this? God will hide things from you? And, and they sound like they're important things, right? Hidden these things. And hid them from the wise and the understanding. But then gives them to kids. Why give them to kids? Because he wants everybody to have a shot. The wise and the understanding are still trying to do their own thing. Jesus said it's not about being wise and understanding. It's more about who has the revelation. Who is God revealing himself to? Yes, because your gracious will, the gift of what you wanted, was for people to understand who you were. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus says. No one knows the Son except the Father. Uh-oh. Does that sound exclusive? Only the Father gets to know the Son? You heard this before? I thought anybody could accept Jesus. It says, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. This is getting worse. And then oh, here we get our little caveat. Here we get our little a bone. They throw us a bone. Anyone to whom the Son chooses to what? Reveal him. God hides some things and he reveals others. Who's he do it to? Not the wise, the understanding, the proud. The kids, to people who maybe witness mighty, mighty works and respond to them. Well, how do you do that? Love what Jesus says right here, very next thing. Because right when you feel like, oh no, what are we going to do? 28, come to me. If you know he's the only one with the keys, when you talk to him, if you found out somebody could do mighty works, wouldn't they be on the speed dial? Favorites list? Hearted, liked, starred, whatever? Absolutely. I was having a conversation with somebody this week. Have you prayed about it? No. What? You haven't prayed about it? No. Why not? Doesn't work. Doesn't change anything. Haven't seen it. I thought to myself, well, stick around, my friend. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet, huh? I tell you what, it went in like five minutes. We got new information. That was amazing. And they're asking, well, what does that mean? What, what does that change? Oh, they're, they're getting all excited. I said, well, actually, what it means is that prayer does actually work, huh? Stopped them in their tracks. They got silent. It's one of those people you can never get to shut up. They're always talking. And, I, and we shut them down. They had to think. Oh, maybe God does do mighty works. Maybe when I talk to him, it does matter. Maybe I should be responding to him. Maybe the idea that Jesus tried to clarify that with John's disciples and then the crowd and then all these cities and then had his disciples take the message to many countries and that it spread over the whole world is an idea that God has a gracious will 
to have himself revealed to us that we might repent. Amen? Starting to make sense, right? Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Are you tired? Folks, I'm exhausted. Seriously. Came home from Mexico. I slept for ten and a half hours. <laughs> Felt like ten and a half minutes. My whole body sore. I could use some rest. Take my yoke, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke. Why do, why do, what does that even mean? Right? Here's what it means. Learn from me. Jesus says, learn from me. I never heard it that way. I grew up in church, folks, most, most of my life. Many different churches. I did youth group, the whole thing. You know what they always said to me? Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? I thought, wow, that's a great question. Have you accepted? That's one way to say it. What's the difference between saying, are you learning from Jesus? Accepted, accepted Jesus, that kind of verb makes it sound like one-time deal. Completed action. I did it, it's over, I'm good. Learning from Jesus, different implication. Now it's not just you got a title. Now there's growth involved. How about this, okay, a little English lesson. Man, we're doing geography and English. When you put I-N-G on the end of a verb, what kind of phrase, what kind of word is that called? What's the terminology? That, what? Okay, but it's a participle, right? Sorry, first service had a teacher in it, so they got the answer right, okay? <laughs> it's a participle. It implies ongoing action. Now, we love the idea that accepting Jesus is a one-time deal. He died on the cross for us. We're forgiven, that whole thing, and, and nothing could take that away. We love that part of it, right? But what could you like more about learning from Jesus? You have an ongoing relationship with him. Where now instead of had seen mighty works, could see mighty works. Because you're still learning, you're still interacting. Maybe he's alive and well and ain't finished yet. We say that here a lot, right? God's not finished yet. You have an ongoing relationship with him. There's hope for the future and you're getting better. There's opportunity. Hope. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest. And this time, not just rest. Rest is good. You're tired, you, you get a cold drink, sit in the shade, get off your feet. That's what he's talking about. What kind of rest is this? This is rest for your souls. How much better is that? Don't know. Don't know, folks. I do not know the extremes to which rest for your soul is above and beyond just regular rest. But I want to find out. I want you to find out. More importantly, uh, God, Jesus himself, says he wants you to find out. What does rest for your soul look like? 
probably one of the greatest needs for our culture today is rest for their soul because they're out there running around chasing everything but God. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is, is easy. My burden is light. Uh, two first-person possessive, uh, my and my. Jesus is talking about himself, but really it's about us, isn't it? If his yoke is easy and his burden is light, what's that implication for us? We can experience better. We can experience more. The key is not mixing up the order where you're looking for better and more first and you're going to try Jesus later once you finally got your better and your more. No, we, we, we find Jesus first. We look for his revelation first. We repent to him first and we get better and more after. Is there an order for that? I think there is. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. 11 verses. How, how do you get four fill-ins from 11 verses? Let's find out. All right. You notice we have a uh, top of your outline you have Matthew chapter 11, 20 through 30, and it says, repent and rest. Right? How do we get to that? How do we get to repent and rest? Well, one, one, you repent. You change. You respond. Jesus comes into your life, does something, and says something. You hear a story about him. You see someone else experience him. You should be engaging them. You know, the, the key between all the different cities was not the mighty works. It was the response. What was their response? I love all these different ways to look at the word repent. It says respond, change, act, adjust, learn, prepare, engage, incorporate. Uh, you techies, modern types, Download. Right? How about even better? Upgrade. Hey, what are you so excited about? I'm getting an upgrade. There's a little piece of upgrades I hate. We ever try to upgrade? What happens? You this a little line on the screen, and it's sitting there, moving slower than a snail. You never know. It says, you know, one hour and 27 minutes remaining. It's never an hour and 27 minutes. Right? It's always more. Or maybe some of you got that little ball that spins with the rainbow. I don't think I've ever hated a rainbow so much in my life, watching that thing spin around, waiting for the upgrade to come. Why? You can't use the program you're trying to upgrade. You can't do what you wanted to do. You have to wait. You've got to invest time, whatever. You know, sometimes upgrading takes a while. But once the upgrade's over, what do you got? Better, faster, more, whatever it is. Problem is, upgrade a lot of times, just like repentance, every time, takes a little investment on your part. It's like the doctor's office is going to hurt a little bit. So we got to repent. We got to learn how to change and respond. It reminds me of what we read uh, three verses ago last week, Matthew chapter 11, verse 17. Remember the kids playing in the marketplace, calling out to their friends? says, we, pray, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. We're, we're trying to get your attention. You're not responding to anything we're doing with you. That's what this generation is like, Jesus said. Let's have this generation not be like that. How about that? Because we start turning to the right, not the left. 
Number two, experience the mighty works. Experience the mighty works. Three different times, three different verses, it talks about mighty works that were performed. They didn't repent because they weren't really buying into the mighty works. You had mighty works? You had mighty works in your life? First service, as soon as I asked that question, a guy yells out, yeah, I had mighty works. He saved me. And his wife pointed out like, yep. <laughs> I'm cracking up, folks. Some of you guys got to become preachers because you get to see stuff up here that none of the rest of you get to see. I'm cracking up, and I got to keep preaching. What mighty works have you experienced? I experienced a mighty work. That guy gave me a church. Something's wrong with that. That's pretty mighty. Three kids. I have a wife who said yes at one point. Will you? She said yes. That's a mighty work in my book. I wasn't sure that was ever going to happen. You know what I mean? Poor wife's crying right now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what, what have been the mighty works in your life? How has God, are, are you enjoying them or you forgot about them? You know, there's a difference between pessimists and an optimist. Optimists watch what's going on and says, wow, cool. Maybe God. Do it again. What's good about it? Pessimist says all the other things. Says, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. And then what's the very next word out of their mouth? But, see, pessimists are a bunch of butts. <laughs> They're just looking for the negative side. See, yeah, maybe God's real, but he doesn't like me. Yeah, maybe God's real, but when I pray to him, it doesn't work. Oh, really? Let's wait less than five minutes and have you chewing on those words. Gagging them down. Eating crow. I wish you would have been there. It was so fun. Better question than all of those. What mighty works does God have ahead of you? Why goof around doing your own thing? When you could experience mighty and have it work. How cool could that be? Above and beyond everything you ask or think. That's why we said kids camp. That's why we have a children's program. That's why we go to Mexico. That's why we do all the things that we do. You send in letters to guys that are in jail. They're already in jail. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because there's hope for them. Amen. That's why Jesus started telling more and more people, right? Just a few disciples, then a crowd, then multiple cities. And it goes out even farther. Why? So that everybody gets to hear. So that everybody's got a shot at him being revealed. Number three, seek. Ask him to reveal himself. If you knew he had the keys, wouldn't you call him? Who's Jesus want to reveal himself to? Everyone. Everyone. At some point, you got to start asking. Checking. Trying. Questioning, maybe. I know some of you out there got some questions. Pessimistic questions. You know, none of them are a challenge for him. In fact, some of your pessimistic questions are how he could prove himself, reveal himself to you. How cool would that be? 
Lastly, take his yoke. Take high's yoke. Is that what that says? Take high's yoke? No, let's take his yoke. How do you do that? Verse 29, take his yoke. You know how you do it? Verse 28, come to him. How do you come to him? You know what? There's a thousand ways. 900 of them I don't approve of, but it still works. Find a way to come to him. It's an amazing thing. I'm a soccer guy. Won't apologize about that yet. No, this isn't your rant. Rant's still coming. (laughs) This is one of your second service extras. Okay? Right now is like heaven and Disneyland for us soccer people. Why? World Cup's going on. Teams that are supposed to win are losing. Teams that are losing are are supposed to lose. They're winning. It's all over the place. There's some goals that have been scored. Amazing. Fernando and I texting back in each other. Did you see that? Oh, my goodness. That was so crazy. We're having a great old time. You know what I haven't found true about every, uh, there's not a single team. I haven't found this true about any team. None of them are functioning without a coach. Every single team, 32 best teams in soccer in the whole world. You know, every single one brought a coach with them to the tournament. It's the weirdest thing. Scott, what's wrong with you? course they're soccer teams they all have coaches what it's an analogy folks everybody needs a coach you always got to have a coach i can't wait till one team goes to the world cup without a coach i want to see that debacle that thing's going to fall apart it's going to be one of the the greatest analogies for church preaching ever right it's gonna be like mike tyson and buster douglas i used that once that one was funny We need a coach. You need a God who can do mighty works, who can make sense of it, who will come to you. That's why we turn. That's why we repent. So we get to a place of rest. Here comes a rant. You ready? I read an article this week. It said, stop going to church. It got my attention. Comma, and I'm a pastor. That was the title. Now I knew, well, one of them two ain't true. You follow me on that one? I started reading this article. Guy did a bunch of research. Apparently he's a so-called pastor. Oh, it says uh, 80% of the work in churches is only done by 20% of the people. Okay, no new information there. Most people don't tithe. No information there, new information there. Most people don't serve. No new information there. Most people don't talk about Jesus or share Jesus with their friends or other people. Most people don't evangelize. No new information there. So the church is ineffective. You shouldn't go. Just stop going and just have your own relationship with the Lord. thought, you loser. He absolutely missed the point. Folks, we don't come to church to give money. Amen? We don't need your money. There, I said it. You don't come to church to serve either. Wait, what? Scott, this doesn't sound right. (laughs) 
I, I read a verse, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I thought we're supposed to serve. Yes, you are, but it's not the reason you come to church. You don't come to church because uh, you have to evangelize or you're good at evangelizing or you need to do it all the time. That's not why you come to church. This guy has missed the number one reason for why we do come to church. Because I don't need you to bring people or friends to church to fill any of these empty seats. You can. We will love them. Be nice to them. But we don't bring them to church because we need their money or because we need the volunteers. Why do, we, why do we come to church? It's the number one reason we come to church. To get Jesus yourself first. We come to church so you understand, so you can have a revelation as to who he is. He can reveal himself to you so that you can repent, so that you can find rest for your soul. Because if that doesn't happen, folks, your money won't do anything. Your attendance won't do anything. If I, I don't want you to serve with our people, you might send them in the wrong direction. Actually, you might chase people out of the church. I don't want you to share God with anybody if you're not close to God yourself. Why? Because you're a bad witness. Why do you come to church? To get God yourself. And, and you know why else? Watch the 20% that are killing it. You might need to come to church because you have a question, because you have a pes you're a pessimist. Maybe you do need rest. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you need to sit in the back and just soak it in. How dare he ever make you feel guilty for coming to church where you could have an experience with God? No, folks, we come to church all the time. Thou shalt come to church every week. Amen? Amen? Thou shalt not give every week. Thou shalt not serve every week. It is not healthy. You got to be in a relationship with the Lord first. You got to be doing these things. We'll let the 20% carry it. They're good at it already. Right? Tell your friends, come to my church. I'm horrible, but we got some cool people there. That wasn't a joke. Four things. Final question. Four things. Repent, experience the mighty works, seek, ask God to reveal himself, or, or come to him. I want to ask you a serious question, and we're going to do a show of hands. This is the interactive portion of the morning. Which one of those do you like the best? Let me rephrase. Which one of those four would you like first? I want you to think about it. Ready? Let's start with seek. Him reveal himself. How do you want to, how, how would like to start with that one? Pretty good? Okay. Okay. How many would love to have an, a, a mighty work or experience a mighty work? That's a pretty, no, you cannot answer, hold your hand up twice. <laughs> Some of you are starting to cheat, all right? How many, how many people, you, you know you like the other three, but you know probably repent needs to be first, right? A couple of you, these, these are honest people, okay? These, these people, we give them props and credit, okay? They lost the World Cup match, but after the game, we say we give them a lot of credit, okay? They need to repent, all right? Last one, uh, how many people feel like they need to come to him? Okay, good. You ready? Are these in order? Whichever one you want to have first, permission granted. 
Permission granted. Talk to God. Figure out what you want to go. You know what? I bet you that he works with your equation and your timeline. If he doesn't want to, he'll change it for you. And, and he will have your attention. He's really good at it. But start. We'll, we'll get to all the other stuff that church does later. Let's do all this first. Because he wants us to come to him. Have an interactive relationship with him. Right? What do you want to know? What do you need to know for your next step? It's a good question. Here's, here's a little, little shot to the gut, okay? Do you want to know God more than the stuff you want to know? Because I think there's an order to that too. It's the only way that it has worked for me. And a lot has it worked for me. But God wants it to work for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things. Boy, things has never sounded so bad, right? Will be added unto you. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. There's an order. That's how we're trying to do it. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you can bring these bones to life. Thank you that there is an order. Thank you that you're the kind of God who is capable of mighty. You want to reveal yourself. You're easy to approach. And you accept those that turn. And God, we pray for every, each and every one that's here this morning. Hand raised or not. Pray, Lord, that you would interact with them on a level that makes sense to them, specific to them. That they might have a real relationship with you. Help us, Lord. Bless us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what we're about to receive as a church. I ask you to bless it. We pray this all in your son's name.